Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 522. In episode 522, we interviewed former FBI special agent Tim Clementi. And for those of you that weren't aware, if I didn't mention it on the show, Tim is Jim Clementi's younger brother. This episode generated a lot of listener response, and a lot of that is due to me really keeping Tim Clementi in the dark before we interviewed him. We'll talk about it when we get into all of your questions and your points, but um, I, re- I really enjoyed the conversation and the interview. Um, some things I think were surprising to people listening, but again, a lot of that was because I didn't want to sway Tim's opinion on the case, so I didn't tell him what we were going to be talking about, and I think that he was a little bit confused about where we were going with the interview, but we'll get into all that with Mike's questions, so let's go ahead and get started. I know we've got some uh, housekeeping things to cover right when we get started here. All right, let's do it. Okay, to start things out today, I want to make a request. So I can't really get into this is this is a tough situation for me to dance around. I can say this. There have been some developments in the case, and we may be having to hit pause on this case earlier than expected. We're not done. We're still going to complete this whole season, but um, all of these cases, these are legal matters, and it's happened in just about every case we've ever covered where we reach a point where lawyers and people are getting involved and we kind of have to back off when we, when we get to a point where we start making some, some developments. And there's a potential that that may be happening sooner than expected with this case. And the reason I'm telling you that is because we usually take a couple of months to prep for a new case. In this situation, we haven't been screening any cases for, well, since we started this one, because we weren't expecting to even to end or even hit pause on the West Memphis 3 case for probably a year because it's so complex. Um, but as it turns out, we may be, and it's still a maybe, we're not really sure yet, um, we may have to hit pause on it earlier than expected. So what we want to do, and it's something we haven't even put in our, our new credits that we use, uh, we do have an email address for new case submissions, and that email address is cases at truthandjusticepod.com. That's cases at truthandjusticepod.com. And what I'd like to do, if you have a case 
that you would like for us to cover on the podcast. Ideally, what we're looking for is someone who has a personal connection to a case. So not necessarily, hey, I I read about this on the news or, you know, this I saw this on a documentary. As we said, this case that we're covering right now is one that was highly publicized. And we kind of want to go back to another case and help someone who doesn't have help or hasn't had any help. So that works great if it's something, if it's a case that someone has a personal connection to, or even something that's like from your town that you're aware of that hasn't had a lot of publicity. But if there's any cases you're interested in, submit them to us through our email at cases at truthandjusticepod.com so we can start our screening process. We have a couple of different innocence clinics that are throwing some cases at us too. Um, but typically our format, we usually only cover murder cases and we only cover cases where at least on the surface of a screening, we believe that we're dealing with someone who is actually innocent. So we oftentimes review and screen cases and decline to cover them because it just, it, it seems that it's possible or, or highly likely that the individual is actually innocent. Our mission is not about you know, finding a technicality to get a conviction overturned. That's not what we do. We fight for justice for the victims and for the wrongfully imprisoned. And while, you know, people deserve a fair trial and there are certainly attorneys and groups out there that do that, for us, we only take on a case if we believe after our screening process that likely the victim did not receive justice because the wrong person went to prison and someone's life has been stolen away from them. So, uh, if you have an idea about a case, send it in. Even if it is one that's been publicized, go ahead and send it and we'll look at it. But just so you know, typically what we're looking for are cases that are not highly publicized like this one. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, these are really these are really tough on us. And you know, in this case, the reason we took it was not because of Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly. We decided to go off our normal brand, so to speak, with this case because we feel that Michael Moore and Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch never received not only justice, but they didn't get any of the attention in the media attention that they deserved to try to help finally put a button on this and solve once and for all their case. So um, that's it as far as the new cases, but please go and submit them. Um, you can ask all the questions you want about what I just said about this case, but I can't answer those questions. And I, I hate to be all cloak and dagger on you and act like there's a big conspiracy. There's not. It's just it's just the way things work. When we get to a certain point, we have to shut down uh, for a period of time. Okay, and getting back to our production, uh, we've had some listeners complain about some issues with Google Play. Oh, yes. We wanted to cover that, too, while we were still in housekeeping here. Um, yeah, apparently Google Play has not been updating the podcast. Hopefully, by the time this airs, that'll be corrected. But uh, understand that's out of our control. We post the podcast to one place. It generates an RSS feed. All the different players pull from that. And on Google Play's side, they had a problem with the connection. I've been told they're working on it, and it should be fixed in a matter of days. But that's that's completely out of our control. So if you're listening on Google Play and somehow you weren't able to get it but found this episode, you can always download the Audio Boom app. That's where we post the episodes directly. Um, there's a bunch of different um, Android apps, you know, Podcast Addict and Podcast Republic and Spotify and TuneIn. We're all over the place. And of course, with Apple, you can always go to iTunes. And then real quick, there were some comments about the sound quality on our follow-up episodes. Yeah, and that was, I think I addressed that, and I, I mentioned that I would talk about it in this follow-up, where somebody had said that you know the follow-up's volume was low, and they had a hard time hearing it compared to the mains. And the reason for that is 
we don't do much editing in these follow-ups. You know, for those of you that are Patreon supporters and watch the videos, you know we do edit because you see the raw, uncut version of this. Um, but we don't put a big sound design or anything like that. Whereas Shane does the sound design on the main episodes, and so he puts in some compression and boost levels and makes it more of a crisp, bolder sound. Um, but the volume issue is something that we can easily correct. We've heard you. We will. We'll just fix it. It's a pretty easy fix. So before we uh, we export the files, we'll just bump up the gain and hopefully fix that issue for you guys. And then one last thing in housekeeping. Oh, Listen, only only one more. One more thing. <laughs> uh, Sherry Van Zeel, I hope I said her name right, uh, is starting the Amazon wish list for book donations to Weaver Elementary School. Oh yes, yes. Uh, and I will on all of our social media and the fan pages, we will put we will pin a link for this. So next weekend. Uh, May 5th is the 25th year anniversary of the deaths of Stevie Branch and Michael Moore and Christopher Byers. And uh, a lot of people have been trying to come up with ideas to how we how we could honor these victims. And Sherry had a fantastic idea. She actually reached out to the principal of Weaver Elementary to ask, you know, what they could do to help. And he said they would love to have a bunch of new books in honor of Stevie, Michael and Christopher throughout the elementary school. So Sherry took it upon herself to make a Amazon wish list. I haven't actually gone on and, and, and ordered books yet. I will be doing that. So I'm not exactly sure how it works, but there's a link uh, and it lists the books that they want. And it tells you which ones have already been purchased. Uh, I think they started with a goal of 20 books per classroom and they bumped that up to 25. I would love to see us you know, cause them to have to bump that way up. But Sherry is also um, purchasing herself, I believe, stickers that will go inside of each book that says in memory of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, which is, it's awesome. Thank you, uh, Sherry, so much. I hope I, I hope it's not Sheree. I don't, I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name, but thank you so much for doing this. It is an incredibly kind gesture, and that's something that'll last a really long time uh, at the Weaver Elementary School. So look on our social media for the links to the Amazon wish list. And let's flood Weaver Elementary School with books in honor of these victims. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's get to the questions. This first one comes from Steph. I know you brought Tim Clemente on to show that the cops in this case did people wrong, but I'm sorry, there are not enough eye roll and face palm gifts in this world to undo his statement that lawyering up, quote, doesn't do anyone any good. What do you make of this, Bob? So I, I think that that was taken out of context, and a lot of it was, as I mentioned in the intro coming in. So you, you had to listen to what Tim was saying. In that little interjection there, in my opinion, he was just being honest. And I will tell you as someone who was an investigator and had to conduct a lot of interviews, 
he's telling the truth. The last thing we want is for someone to lawyer up and not talk. Uh, because now in, in Tim's case, and I believe the reason I went with Tim is because not only his brother, but other people have told me that he had a reputation for being a good, honest agent, and he was always seeking the truth, and he would rather let somebody walk out of of the station uh, free than to get somebody to say something that wasn't true. And so he was just, he said that as kind of an aside where he was saying that, you know, in the, the conversation where we were talking about was, uh, someone who has a diminished mental capacity or a juvenile that doesn't have the capacity to understand their right. And so you had to listen to what he was really saying there. He was saying that, you know, if they, if they are in that mental, that mindset, they don't have the ability to waive their right to an attorney. And as an aside, he said, of course, I don't want them to lawyer up because as I've told you, if you're ever a suspect, the smartest thing to do is get a lawyer, stop talking. Uh, but as an investigator, I will tell you, honestly, the same thing Tim said, it's the last thing you want, especially for me as an arson investigator, you know, it's, it's really tough to get a prosecutor to even prosecute an arson case. And that's why interviews and confessions are so important. So you don't want them to be quiet. But that being said, uh, Tim on the, on airing on the side of caution says, but the thing is he would never do an interview. He said that he, I believe his words were. That's not an effective tool that we would use on a child or someone with a diminished mental capacity because they don't have the ability to understand the real consequences of not having a lawyer. Grown adults without diminished mental capacities waive their rights to an attorney all the time, and it doesn't take much more than a cop to say, look, you can, you know, you can have an attorney come in, but that's going to shut things down and it's going to make you look guilty. And people will be like, okay, well, I don't want to do that because they don't want to look guilty. Uh, but when you take you take a child, so let's say Aaron Hutchison at eight years old, you know, and of course he wasn't a suspect, but so let's say Jesse Ms. Kelly, who had it was documented to have an IQ of 72 and the mental capacity of a third grader, is what Dr. Wilkins testified to in the pretrial hearings, doesn't understand the real consequence. You know, they want to, as as Tim said, to please authority, to uh, to get in their good graces, to do whatever they want. It's too easy to convince them to waive those rights. And as Tim said, you're taking a conversation that needs to be a conversation between two mature grown adults and, and you're introducing a child into that. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Um, but, you know, I think, again, Tim saying that, you know, no, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good for them to lawyer up. It's because he's talking about what he as a good interviewer is trying to do is get to the truth. And if somebody just shuts down, you're not going to get there. And while we're on the topic right now, can we go back to what you mentioned in the intro about Tim not really knowing what he was getting himself into? Yeah, so I think somebody put in one of the comments that they have to believe that Tim's interview wasn't particularly well-received by the listeners. And that seemed to be the case. I was surprised, but I knew what was going on. And all of the listeners didn't really know what was happening, but neither did Tim. So this is what happened. And I do this all the time with people where... I don't want to, for anybody that says that we're super biased or anything, the last thing I wanted Tim to do is to develop any kind of bias, consciously or subconsciously. And so when I was looking for someone to interview about this, uh, to give us kind of, a, the, the point was a lesson in what to look for in a good or bad interrogation. And so I asked, you know, does he know anything about the case? And he said, no. He said, I mean, he has, you know, maybe a cursory knowledge of it. He's never seen the documentary. He doesn't really know anything about it. So that's perfect. Don't research it. I just want to talk to you about interview tactics. And so when Tim came on, 
And you could tell from the first, and we and we talked about cutting it because it was really off topic, uh, but decided to leave it in. You could tell from the very first maybe five, ten minutes of the interview that we were going two different places, you know. So when I'm asking Tim, you know, t- Tim starts going on about this is how I conduct an interview and the rapport building and all these things. He thought that that's why I had him on was to talk about his, how he interviews somebody. And that was my fault for not making that clear to him that it really wasn't about that. I wanted to talk about spe- the specific issues we hit on later. And so I think a lot of what happened was people kind of got turned off by that because, you know, I think somebody wrote in there that, you know, this smells like read. Uh, the read technique, and it does. And as I've mentioned before, the re- I've, I've used the read technique. I've been trained thoroughly in the read technique. It's used from law enforcement agencies all around the world. The problem with the read technique isn't that it's bad. It's that if you're not cognizant of indicators of not only deception but suggestibility on the part of the person you're interviewing, it becomes a dangerous, dangerous tool. So that's the same. Tim's methods he was talking about are the same methods that I would use. I approach an interviewer from an angle of innocence. We try to build rapport. You try to get somebody talking. Uh, But you had to listen to what Tim was saying, that that is how he gets the the person talking and gets them to a place where they will reveal the truth. But he's only looking for the truth. And then as you listened later, as he said, when we're talking about a juvenile or someone with a diminished mental capacity, first of all, he wouldn't interview them because it's not effective. For, for someone like that. It's not an effective, t- it's a, a great tool to get a confession. It is not a great tool to find the truth. And so, you know, when he is with somebody that's competent to have an interview, he will use those rapport building techniques to get them to where there's a mutual rapport back and forth and we can get to the truth. So that is an effective method. But when he got further into the interview is when he starts talking about things you never do, interrupt, suggest anything. And and also, you're constantly assessing the suggestibility of the interviewer so or the interviewee. So, you know, if you say words and you're hearing them, just always repeat back the exact same words you said. That's a problem. It's a red flag. It's an indicator that this person is not being truthful, either because they're intentionally lying or because they're just trying to maintain that rapport and they're trying to get along with you and oftentimes trying to just get out of the room as they, they want it over with. Uh, so you got to really, you know, if, if you listen to Tim's interview and you were you were turned off by some things, listen to it again and listen to what he's really saying and understanding that he is someone who has a reputation for only seeking the truth, not a confession, not a conviction. He's looking for the truth. Okay, and then Chris writes to us, Tim said generally, quote, the greater the specificity, the greater the accuracy in regards to statements. In the Narlene Hollingsworth episodes, I remember Bob saying that there was so much detail that it seemed unbelievable. Regarding Dominie's flowered pants, the holes, Narlene knew they belonged to Dominie because she saw her wearing them before, etc. How do you reconcile this? How do you know when the detail is accuracy as opposed to when the detail is fallacy? So there's a distinct difference there. What Tim and I were talking about in this interview is sensory memories and emotional memories. Now, and recently, I don't know if, if many of you listeners saw uh, the special on O.J. Simpson's, quote, hypothetical confession. In watching that, you, you look for indicators that he's actually recalling a real memory. Uh, and there were things from, like, as far as physical response, you see him kind of thinking back and then, like, re- I remember grabbing the knife and then watching him physically reach back and grab a knife. That's an indicator that that's a real memory. 
And when somebody says, I, you know, I remember walking up and I smelled this or I, I, I saw this and it's not just, I saw pants with, you know, holes in them, but I saw these, these vivid colors. And I remember, you know, when we do what's called a cognitive interview, uh, we have some people close their eyes and describe the scene around everything from the color of the sky to the wind blowing in their face and things like that. These are sensory memories. Those are the details that we're referring to as opposed to Narlene Hollingsworth, who continually added details. And it was a clear attempt to try to make her memory seem more credible. And then, but she gave little indicators away, things like she was wearing these pants. And, oh, by the way, I know they were her pants because I saw her wearing them three days later. Uh, so she, she's, she's overselling is what she's doing. And adding in all these weird details. And then the details aren't lining up. You know, there's there's three or four different places where the sighting happened. There's She pulls over and she pukes or she doesn't puke or she's going to puke. But it's before anybody knows anything's happened. But she just has this feeling. And you know, all those details, those are very different than someone recalling real, true memories. And w- one of the things what we were getting at that you're looking for when you're doing a statement analysis. Because what I do often where Tim has interviewed thousands of people. I haven't. I've interviewed maybe 100 people, probably not that many, to be honest, probably dozens at best. But I've analyzed many, many, many interviews. So for me, it's always after the fact, what was I, what am I looking for? And a lot of the reason for having Tim on was to add some, you know, I, I just, I just don't expect you all to take my word for anything. That's why I like to bring on experts. This, I, I'm not an expert in many things. This is one, I wouldn't call myself an expert. But I'm very well trained, educated, and versed in statement analysis, uh, and I and I continue to. That's one of the big topics of of study for me continually. With my continued education is always in statement analysis and and behavior analysis. That's just something that you know has has always been kind of a specialty, so to speak, of mine. Uh, so so that's what I was getting at with Tim, and that's what we're talking about. We're doing a statement analysis after the fact. What are indicators of deception as opposed to indicators? of veracity or truth. And these two are, again, are, are very different things. When Narlene is making up weird details and they're shifting and they're changing, and then also pay attention to what Tim said later when you go back and try to recall the the events uh, that they gave you in their narrative out of order and they can't get them straight, which was riddled throughout all of Narlene Hollingsworth's statements all the way up to her trial testimony. Okay, good discussion. Let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsor, and then we'll get back into it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Liz says, anyone else think there is a difference between trying to coerce someone into confessing and presenting alternative options about how things could play out for someone so that they can make an informed decision about what path they want to go? 
I feel like Tim was getting at this. I also think that Tim was giving an example of what he would hypothetically say to someone, but the exact words, tone of voice, etc. would be different if he were actually in the moment. What do you think, Bob? Building a rapport about communicating empathy and a non-judgmental viewpoint to the other person so that they have the space to disclose what they're willing. Yeah, and that's exactly what, I mean, it's, it's part of what read technique is. It's building the rapport, and then you give people options. But it's not, it's a very different thing than suggesting things. So examples are, you're not using details, right? So it's uh, an, an example of the use of the read technique to get somebody to confess is to maybe give them alternate reasoning or justification for them doing what they did you know so someone was in kind of like siding with them right? kind of yeah like you're telling them look you did a bad thing but you know you maybe you did it for the right reason or maybe you were backed into a corner you know so you would say so the suggestion might be look i i understand look we we know you did a bad thing here and there's no excusing that but i get it man you were boxed into a corner you didn't you didn't have a way out of this the person you were with just kind of didn't give you a choice. You know, I understand that and I understand why it happened. You know, you're, we're still going to have to deal with what you did, but I get it, man. I'm on your, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. We're not trying to beat you over the head with this, but we need the truth. And, and, and I get that really, you know, maybe it was, you, you didn't have a choice. So that's the suggestion there in, in the re technique is to get into a mental place where they can say, right, right. I didn't have a choice. This is what happened. I, I didn't have a choice. They backed me into it. And then they give the details. You never suggest details in a narrative. And, th and there's going to be some glaring, some of the worst examples I have ever even heard in this this weekend's episode, on Sunday's episode with Jesse Miss Kelly's interview. You know, as, as, as a quick example, you know, so uh, you said they had a knife, right? Uh, they were cutting them with a knife? Yeah, they were cutting them with a knife. Okay, and uh, and and where were they cutting him with a knife? Oh, they cut him on the face. Oh, they cut him on the face, right? And where else did they cut him? Uh, they're cut him on the face. Did did they cut him down down here? Yeah, they cut him down there. Well, where down there? Oh, they cut him on their on their bottom. Oh, when you say their bottom, you mean you mean they cut him on their penis? You know what? A, and this is an exa actual example of yeah. the interview. That's the kind of suggestion that you never ever do. And, and what pisses me, a few people have said, you know, could this have been a mistake and they might have been, no, this, no, absolutely not. There is no excuse for this. There is no way that Ridge and Gitchell didn't know exactly what they were doing when they interviewed not only Aaron Hutchison, but also, as you're going to hear, Jesse Miss Kelly. And these are flagrant violations of what anyone is taught when conducting an interview. You do not do that, period. You're actually supposed to be listening for signs that the person is overly suggestible, you know, where, where maybe you, you accidentally let something slip and you notice they're, they're jumping onto it and repeating everything you're saying. And that's when you back off. You don't ask yes or no questions ever. You don't say, so they did this, right? That you're, you're looking for, especially remember in the, in the interview we're about to hear, this was the final interview after a whole day's worth of interrogations and polygraph tests. And it was, okay, let's get you on the record. You give your narrative. At that point, Jesse should know exactly what the narrative is because he's already gotten it off his chest and he's already come clean about it, right? And so now all he has to do is he's already done that part. All he's got to do is explain, okay, now tell me what happened. And he can't do it. And, and, that, and that, that is a huge red flag, the fact that he's not able to do it. He's not able to give his own narrative. And that's what the officers should have been doing. And that's what they're trained to do. 
and not, not whether it's West Memphis PD or the FBI, you know you ask open-ended questions. You give them space to talk and let them fill in the blanks of their narrative. You don't insert your own. So I guess I don't re- quite remember what the question was, um, but is I, th- I think she was asking if there's a difference between coercing and maybe just suggesting a way out. And yeah, that's the difference with it. With the proper use of the read technique, you're suggesting maybe justifications for what happened, but never details. Never. Okay, this next one's from Wendell. One thing I wish Bob would have asked Tim Clemente is if Tim brings in a person that he sincerely believes is involved and tries to get them to confess, is there any point in the process where he would second guess his assumptions? If so, when does that occur? And what does he take into consideration? What would it take for him to think he was wrong? That's a good question. And it's, and I I didn't get to ask Tim about it, so I don't want to put words in Tim's mouth, but he did. If you listen again, if you listen closely to what he was saying, he talked a little bit about that, that, you know, he's there for the truth. And as he said, sometimes the truth is going to condemn this person or condemn somebody else. Sometimes the truth is going to set them free and, and set someone else free is, is what he said. Uh, and so that was a very, you know, a, a general way of talking about what Wendell's asking here. But yeah, if you're doing a proper job of interviewing someone, now you can have evidence or think you have evidence against someone. And you, you bring them in to do an interview. I don't like the, you to use the word assumption, uh, like when you would question your assumption. But you're bringing them in because there's you have a reason, right? There's, there's something that leads you to believe this person can be involved. And going through all of the processes that we've been talking about this episode, what, what Tim talked about in Sunday's episode, is how you get there. When you realize they're telling the truth, you're looking for indicators of veracity or truth. They're not giving you any indication they're lying. They can give you a full account of of what happened, or oftentimes, again, depending on how much time has passed and what was going on that day, they may know nothing about it. It depends, you know, if if they know something about the crime or if they literally know nothing about the crime. But that's the whole point of the interview. The interview, as Tim said, is not to get a confession. It's not to get a conviction. The purpose of the interview is to find the truth. So I don't think it's a it's it's any long stretch to get to to say, oh, I must have been wrong. Let me let him go. I mean, you're you're certainly going to be maybe resistant to that. But if you're doing your job, you'll know when it's time to do that and release somebody and let them go because you have the wrong person. And and because you thought they knew something, maybe they don't. All right, Bob, I got two more questions for you. I should have mentioned this earlier when you were talking about cases, but listener John was wondering if we'd ever be interested in taking on a cold case. I would be interested yes um will we ever do it probably not um so i i find cold cases very uh very interesting um and the investigator in me loves to dive into them probably for the podcasts i, I i'll never say never because there's someone recently wrote in and wanted us to look at a case for a family member and part of me wants to dive in and and, and try to help them out but the other part of me knows that they're they're almost impossible. You know, the closest thing anybody's done to just solving a straight cold case was you know Payne Lindsay in uh, Up and Vanished. But even with that, he didn't. I mean, through Up and Vanished, he was following this this line of leads that was pointing at one person, and then the the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, says oh, we solved it, and it was this person over here. I think that that his podcast helped rattle the chains and get got people talking for sure. The problem with a cold case is one, it's an open case, which means you are not entitled to anything with open records requests. So the police 
don't have to and typically will not turn over any evidence to you. Um, you know, so, so you're kind of limited to interviewing people. And it's just a, a tough field. And typically, if you're dealing with a, a respectable police agency that was investigating, a cold case means that law enforcement, with the power of warrants and subpoenas, the, the, the ability to force somebody to come in and answer questions, or I mean, they can lawyer up and bring them in for questioning, uh, and, and DNA analysis and, and all fingerprint analysis, with all of the resources of the law, we're not able to solve the case. So in those cases, with us coming in as amateur sleuths, podcasters, whatever, it's just so unlikely to actually get a resolution. I mean, these cases are, I mean, we've been, we've been very blessed in the resolution in Ed's case. We've got, you know, more to come with that one, I hope, uh, very soon with the full exoneration. We're hoping, and Jesse Eldridge's case is right on the brink. George Powell's case is right on the brink and on site. So we've had results. We can't expect those every time, right. uh, even with what we do. Uh, but with a cold case, I just don't think, I think that ends up being you telling the story. And again, it's not to say that it can't be done, but it's just so, I mean, look at the, the Maura Murray podcast, which I, by the way, I love the Maura Murray podcast. Those guys are great, but you know, it's been going on for years and they still haven't solved it. And it's because again, police weren't able to, and you don't have the power that they have. They don't have to share anything with you. Whereas a wrongful conviction or a potential wrongful conviction by definition the police were looking in the wrong direction. So number one, you have access to all the police files. You have access to court documents. You have access to trial testimony. And if it is, in fact, a wrongful conviction, which like the West Memphis Three, I believe, was a wrongful conviction, the police put all of their investigative power into going this way when the answer was this way. So there's a whole, there's, there's a whole other area of investigation left wide open that if it was a wrongful conviction that we can go down and we have some access to information to get there. And that's why I think that we've been able to, to make some pretty strong leaps and bounds in all these cases to point us in the direction of who actually committed the crime. Because for us, you know, again, we're not just telling the story. We're trying to do something. We're trying to find the truth. We're trying to bring justice to both victims and wrongfully convicted. Like I said, I love the idea of a cold case, and I've been tempted on a lot of them. But I, I just don't want to take all of the listeners who are trying so hard to help with everything we're doing. Uh, on a journey where they end up just spinning their wheels for a long time and not getting anywhere. All right, Bob, I got one last question for you. Can you walk through what points we got from Tim Clemente that we can be looking for when listening to Jesse Miss Kelly's interview? Yeah, so like I said at the beginning, Tim kind of got off on some tangents, uh, no fault of his own. Really, again, it was because I think he thought that's what I wanted him to do. But we did get to uh, the areas that I wanted to get into for him to kind of almost teach a lesson to us. Uh, one was to be looking for suggestibility. So we're doing a couple of things Sunday. We're trying to look at the police tactics to begin with. Was it a proper interview? Did they do things right? And did they knowingly and intentionally violate those rules of interview and press to get information that they knew wasn't right? So that's one thing. And so we're looking for, were they interrupting? Uh, when, you know, when, when Jesse, what we want to listen for Sunday was, is, when Jesse begins talking, are they cutting him off? You know, when his narrative goes the direction they don't want it to go, do they cut him off? Because we know the narrative they want, especially at that point. You know, they 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 wanted this to be a sexual assault, uh, even down to details where they wanted to believe uh, forced oral sex by grabbing by the ears. Uh, they didn't have the full autopsies back yet, and so th th these were the assumptions that they were making. They wanted it to have to do with the occult. Um, they wanted it to. There wanted to be 
uh, mutilation with a knife, you know, so they needed Jesse to say those things. So, of course, there's going to be some factual inaccuracies, but uh, so we're looking for when he gets away from that, do they stop him and do they bring him back? We also want to listen for uh, suggestion in Jesse's responses. So every time Jesse says something that someone would use and say, well, look, well, how did he know that? He said that. That's an accurate fact from the crime scene. That's a legit confession. What we're listening for is where did the information come from? You know, does it in a free flowing narrative, is he giving you facts? Is he giving the police things that they didn't already know? Or are they telling him those things? And, you know, a lot of times with these coerced confessions, uh, if that's indeed what this is, and so oftentimes, you know, these things happen before in that pre-interview time. And this is how, you know, a detective may, you know, a corrupt detective, which we've seen in other cases, oftentimes in a wrongful conviction cases, it's no accident. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. And so in the unrecorded portion, they give the the person the information and then they record to get them to repeat it back to you. Jay Wilds is a good example of that. In this case, though, you have a problem with Jesse in the fact that he doesn't have the mental capacity to do that. And so they have to keep pointing him back in the right direction over and over again, which makes it super easy to be able to pick it apart and see what they're doing. So that's what we should be listening for is anything Jesse says, where did the information come from? Did it come from him? Or was it first suggested to him by the officers? Uh, we're looking for factual inaccuracies. We're looking for uh, the flowing narrative. Like I said, when, when someone confesses, uh, and there was another miscommunication kind of between me and uh, Tim when I said when somebody gives you, I, I just it just cracked me up. I, I said when, when somebody is decides they are giving you a truthful and honest confession, a, a phrase that I use all the time is what does that look like? And, and I meant like what are we listening for? Uh, Tim took it literally and then went on for five minutes about what the person looks like. But it was good information because that's accurate. That's something we've taught, something that I've seen personally in real cases. When someone decides to actually give a truthful confession, it is a relief. And they, once they start, sometimes it's hard to get them to stop. They just want to just go, 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 go. This is every little detail. They're looking for something with a beginning, a middle, and an end. They will describe in detail. So then I went here, and then I went and did this, and then I did this. One thing to look for in, in, in as Tim said, and, and I agree, if this is a deceptive statement, it's a false narrative, is someone is not relieved. They are not actually confessing. They're trying to end this nightmare of being of being interrogated by the police for several hours. And so they say, fine, uh, if I confess, then, then this will be over. And they'll say, yep, I got up, and then they killed them. And they'll skip all those details uh, because they just want to quickly get it over. So be listening for Jesse to try to stop the story, you know, to, to get, okay, I went from here to here, and then I left. Okay, well, I went here to here to here, and then I left. And people with an untrained ear might say, well, he's trying to distance himself, but he's already implicated, you'll hear. He's already implicated himself. He's not, he's not doing himself any more favors by ending the story there. He just wants it over. That's what you're listening for. You're, look, you're listening for these sensory memories. Is he describing feelings? Is he describing smells and sounds? Uh, is he giving a free-flowing narrative, or is he simply repeating back what the officers are telling him to say? So that was the information that I was hoping to get out of Tim Clemente, uh, and he did get it out there. you gotta, you got to listen closely for it, and again, that's not Tim's fault. That was my fault, and I think that we'll get – Tim's going to come back on and actually analyze the interview – of Jesse Miss Kelly and come back and talk about it. Uh, and when he does that, I think he'll have a, a much better 
picture of, of who Tim is and, and what he does when he's analyzing the statement. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Designs for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And a special thanks to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You kind of stay out of the uh, intro anymore. Well, you you usually have a lot more to say than I do. <laughs> I've got one <laughs> sentence it for says, my intro. It says intro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a Tim and a Jim Clemente? Already covered that in the uh oh, in the very beginning opening, of it. Right. Great. <laughs> Great start. Good start. <laughs> Professional podcasters. <laughs> We're professionals. Yeah, we don't rehearse. Right. You know, we just we just go for it. Well, maybe we have a tie for the two best mothers. No, we don't. It's my mother. <laughs> You're just not gonna let it in. <laughs> okay. Uh and that's just one of the amazing things that we can expect from our mothers. And I know that all of you listening have some amazing mothers. Oh, that's so dumb. <laughs> that's just one of the things we can expect we from can our ex- mothers. What, is that what I said? I think so. Damn it. And you can even get your gift delivered on Mother's Day, which is coming up right around the corner on May 13th, for those of you that didn't remember. Like Mike. Guilty. Didn't know. Didn't know what Mother's Day was. Terrible son. <laughs>